We're so glad you're here. I want to uh, give you a connection to Castle Oaks Church. And if you've been around Castle Oaks for many years, then you are familiar with a nonprofit mission ministry by the name of Ideas International. We're going to give you some background around it. And if you have been, as we've been praying for these burdens, if you need some help kind of thinking outside of your own needs or outside of your own world, this is one of God's antidotes to dealing with stress or feelings of overwhelmedness in our life is to get outside of ourselves, then you're about to be introduced to some people that will help you do that. Okay, and so we're grateful for them. Uh, Larry Lawson is going to join me up here with his friends. We want to welcome them as they give us a glimpse of what Ideas is about. And it's changed over the years. We're going to talk about that change. And the glimpse that he'll give you will help you understand what God is doing in the world. Let's welcome him to the stage. morning. Thanks for letting us. Was that really loud or something? I don't know. Anyways, um, we're glad to be here. Thank you, Phil, for that introduction. And thank you for being here uh, this morning. So um, with me today are my friends Tony Herrera and Gabrielle Thompson. Uh, Gabrielle is the CEO and president of Ideas, and Tony is the director of international programs. And he's also here with his wife, Freddie, who also serves with Ideas. Uh, they, uh, we've known Tony and Freddie, Deb and I have, for over 20 years. And uh, when they um, decided to move their family to Tunisia, 13 years ago maybe or so, uh, we joined them in support uh, with prayer and financial support and have been following. And they were the ones to introduce Deb and I to Ideas at that time. Uh, I haven't known Gabrielle as long, about a year and a half, she's been the president. Uh, of ideas. And uh, so we're here to just fill you in. It's one of the ministries that Castle Oaks supports financially and in prayer, along with other ministries like Wellspring and World Orphans and Hope's Promise and the Food Bank, etc. I'm sure I left somebody out and I apologize. Um, so anyways, uh, we're just going to give you a, a snapshot of who ideas is. Um, most of you, many of you remember the Browns. Tammy and Stan, who went to church here for quite a few years. Tammy was the prior president and CEO of Ideas and stepped down uh, about a year and a half ago with some life changes, and she retired uh, and is enjoying life now and taking care of extended family. Um, and she and Stan were instrumental in forming Ideas in the uh, late 1990s, 1997, and uh, they really formed the foundation for what Ideas is today. And we're grateful for their presence and their support, and we miss them. Um, Stan passed away tragically in 2020, suddenly, and, uh, and so that has impacted their family as well, and the Ideas family. But uh, we're very grateful for getting us started. So, without further ado, I'm going to ask Gabrielle to give some background and, uh, on Ideas and what it's all about. Thank you, Larry, and thank you, Phil, and thank you, Castle Oaks, for welcoming us and for your support of our mission and vision. We are so thankful. Ideas is a global community of experts who love Jesus and work around the world to help communities and individuals flourish by removing barriers to their God-given dignity. We step into the deep waters of our work with local communities. 
We stand firm against the current as we pursue justice and elevate and see the unseen. And when we do that, we create life-giving spaces where those who are overwhelmed by human brokenness can experience love, respect, empowerment, mercy, and opportunity. Where the obstacles that attack and diminish our God-given dignity are swept away so that individuals and communities can experience abundant life. But how do we in ideas go about creating these life-giving transformational spaces for people around the globe? We bring professional expertise of agriculture, education, health and wellness, disability care, anti-trafficking programs to the communities where we work. We do faithful, holy work. We design, measure, and assess our programs to ensure that they make an impact. In all of our work, we are interested in serving the whole person in a holistic way that addresses their social, intellectual, physical, and spiritual needs. We offer outstretched hands and humble hearts. We value the wisdom of local communities. We're ready to listen and ready to learn. We nurture healthy communities and individuals. We till the soil so that healthy communities can grow and people can thrive. And we pursue justice. Our programs carefully chip away at things that are broken as we nurture an environment where individuals can flourish and communities can experience the abundance of life. We at Ideas believe that when needs of a community are met and shown the love of Christ through our work, we bring hope and help people experience lasting transformation. Thank you. And um, we, have, we have the same mission we've had for 25 years, uh, but we're adding new uh, depth and influence on that. And uh, Ideas is a non-governmental organization. It's a 501c3. And um, while most of our programs are serving physical needs, we embrace the idea of addressing, as Gabrielle said, spiritual, intellectual physical and spiritual, always spiritual. So everything we do is steeped in the love of Christ. Uh, Tony, maybe you can tell us, tell the group where and who. Um, the who actually first. Yeah. Okay. So as, as Gabriel spoke a little bit about um, uh, communities that have been um, abandoned uh, and, and uh, so we are we go to work in communities that have been marginalized, that have been abandoned by their governments or by, by other communities, communities that are in the fringe, uh, local uh, villages that have no services. So, so uh, communities like this, we go around, around the world and the different countries that we work in and being able to help people, help them not just by bringing them and giving them something, but by training them so that they can so that they can learn how to help themselves and help their communities around them as well. So we do training for the communities. We do what we call we are working ourselves out of a job. Uh, 
thankfully there are so many of these communities, thankfully as well, there are so many of these communities around the world that we can always pick up somewhere else. So after several years of working with the communities, we always have a person that, uh, that gets trained and gets given the opportunity to bring up on the ranks so that they can train other people in their own community so that they can continue to do the work that we began at some point in time. Briefly to discuss where we're working, or oh, did you already do that? No. Okay. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so the where. Um, so we are focusing currently on various, uh, some countries, Guatemala, Tunisia, Kazakhstan, China, Jordan, and Argentina. But we also do have work on other uh, countries where we have independent programs uh, being worked by some of our personnel uh, some of them, Mauritania, Morocco, uh, Turkey, Bangladesh. We do have other countries that we are serving through um, um, collaborative relationships with our, our personnel that is based either in the U.S. or in other countries as well. Thank you. So uh, I got to see this experience, uh, the work, the transformational work that we're doing around the world firsthand in September. A number of us, uh, Tony, Gabrielle, myself, by the way, I serve on the board of ideas. I forgot to mention that, I think. Uh, and uh, we went to Guatemala. And this is this group that we uh, took there. It was a combination of ideas folks and other folks who were interested and in, in helped fund this program in Guatemala. And it was working uh, with an organization that provides uh, wheelchairs to handicapped children. And I'll let Tony explain a little bit more about what we were doing. Well, I, I want to give you a little bit of a background as to why, why Guatemala and why, do we, uh, why did, we, did we came over there to do some work. Um, in Guatemala, there is uh, um, approximately three out of 20 children uh, are born uh, with a disability. Uh, some of these disabilities are um, spina, uh, spina bifida or spina bifida, um, uh, cerebral, cerebral palsy, uh, and several other things that are very um, uh, constraining to the child development. The reason these children are born this way is because mothers, um, potential mothers or, or women who are pregnant, they don't get the attention necessary to be able to uh, strengthen their bodies and strengthen their, their, their natural ability to, to give birth. They don't take vitamins, they don't, do, they don't do their prenatals. There is no medical services in the villages that they, this, these children are born. So by the way, this number of, of three out of 20 gets much larger in small, uh, in small villages and um, indigenous communities in Guatemala. The number is more like about four out of 20. Uh, so it is that. But um, the lack of medical services in these communities is what is creating this issue. Um, there, while there is um, uh, medical services in the capital city, about 70 to 80 percent of all people who have been trained uh, in the medical community live in the capital. Most of the uh, aldeas, which are called the uh, indigenous communities and, and communities outside of the larger cities, they barely ever see a doctor. They barely ever see a nurse. So most of these children are born with the help of a, um, a woman who helps another woman give birth. 
some of these children are born with the cord around their necks and they have uh, lost their breathing for a little while, a time longer than they should. And by the time they, they, they come out into this world, they've already developed a brain, uh, a, a brain condition that creates problems with them. So there's a lot of uh, uh, debilitating disabilities with these children. Some of them are dropped on the floor and then they're picked up and, and things don't get uh, to work. So experts say that within the first two months of a child being born with disability, it's, it's, it would be good to have an analysis done in the children to figure out uh, how, and how they can help them better. Uh, but it, it doesn't happen because there is no medical, there is no medical uh, personnel around them. So and with the help of this group that was shown before and what, what Larry said, we came over there and we uh, came over to work with uh, children with disabilities, specifically from the ages of four, five years old to about 14 years old. I think I was the oldest child that we, that we worked with. Um, we worked directly with a manufacturer called Beeline in Guatemala. It's a wheelchair manufacturer. These wheelchairs that they produce are nothing like the wheelchairs that you guys know. These wheelchairs are highly adaptable, which they can be adapted to any condition of any of the children that are there, any size of the child. And also, uh, uh, they are very therapeutical because once you get a child in a wheelchair, the child, the child is going to grow, so you have to change that wheelchair. You have to adapt it again for that child. And so if you, if you do the, other, the proper adaptations, then the child can develop muscles within, within their uh, body to be able to, to do better. Not only we did that, but we also had some uh, professional healthcare people that came over there to help with the children. We had a, a uh, physical therapist that came in and, and helped and did physical therapy with the children and advised the parents as to how they can work with the children to, to help them uh, be better in whatever it is their condition that they have. Uh, there's a, an example of a wheelchair, uh, and there is two to three people always working in a wheelchair for a child. It takes approximately about an hour or so to get a wheelchair ready for a child because this, this wheelchair is being put together as the child can, comes in. So we were able to give out approximately 17 wheelchairs, 19 wheelchairs uh, during our time in Guatemala. We were there for about a week. Uh, we, did, we did do a little sightseeing on the, on, on the way, but, uh, but for the most part, we dedicated ourselves to doing this. Not only uh, children that were brought, were brought in from the uh, local uh, communities, uh, the indigenous communities to us to do that, but also we went to visit an orphanage that only takes children with disabilities as well. And so we were also able to provision or bring in and adjust a couple of wheelchairs for those children. Thank you, Tony. Uh, I don't know if you noticed in some of those slides, uh, the uh, the folks who work there, the Beeline Wheelchair Company, uh, most of them are also disabled and have grown up uh, with disabilities. And this gives extra hope to uh, the families and children, seeing them being productive and working on these wheelchairs. Uh, Gabrielle, maybe you can talk about the impact uh, that this has. Great, thank you. So as Tony mentioned, we provided assessments, fittings, treatments, and delivered education on self-management tools to underserved populations of children with disabilities. The impact of fitting a child with disabilities in a wheelchair does far more than providing a sense of mobility and accessibility to a child. 
For a child that has lived in isolation, societal shame, and has had to be carried everywhere, the opportunity of a wheelchair means that they can go to school, they can go to church, and they can develop relationships with other children and feel a sense of independence and autonomy in their own lives. Most importantly, though, we provided acknowledgement to these children and families that they are seen and not forgotten and instilled hope for a different future. But not only did this work impact the quality of life for the child, but for the entire family. Every family we met in Guatemala came in with the heaviness of their burdens. They were nervous, they had anticipation, and many of them had to wait up to a year or more to be called that a wheelchair was available to them. And without ex exception, Every one of these children were carried in by a family member or caregiver. Generally, these families would have one family member dedicated to the around-the-clock care of this child, carrying them everywhere that they went. In most cases, this was truly the first time that the child was able to move without the assistance of a caregiver. This not only offered incredible independence for the child, but also gave freedom to the caregiver to seek gainful employment, deepen their marriages and relationships with their other children and have their own improved quality of life. The opportunity of a wheelchair is only one element. It is a tool and a resource used to meet a need, to be able to bring hope through the love of Christ. It was an impactful trip for me personally uh, to see these families carrying in their children and then being able to, uh, you, you could see the change in their demeanor uh, and, and with the siblings as well as, uh, as the children, as they were able to wheel their children out and take them back home with this new tool. Uh, so we're going to be here this morning. Uh, we'll be out in the Welcome Center. There's a table set up. Uh, with some informa additional information. If you're interested, you can sign up for our newsletter or for the Herrera's newsletter. Like all of our um, uh, associates, about 55 to 60 around the world, except for Gabrielle, all of them raised their own support. And uh, so we're grateful for, for any assistance, for your prayers, for your financial support that you can provide. And uh, I'll let Gabrielle have the last word. Thank you, Larry. So I hope that from this presentation you can see that lives were irrevocably transformed on this trip, not just for the children and families that we aided, but for each one of us fortunate enough to be a part of this transformational experience. Guatemala is just a snapshot of the work Ideas is doing around the globe. At Ideas, we are blessed and honored to follow our holy calling of working in communities, serving others, demonstrating the love of Christ through our work, and seeing and experiencing the power of God. Every person deserves to experience their own God-given dignity and a flourishing life. And we are thankful to have a small role in that. You are all invited to join us and be a part of the ways God is using ideas to bring hope and transformation. Thank you for your time, your open hearts to hear our story. Blessings on you, Castle Oaks. So we want to end with this thought. Hope is transformational. Hope is the thing that lasts after the child and family has a wheelchair.
Hope is what reminds them that God is with them, watching over them, loves and values them. And in this video that just came up, uh, it is evident to see the hope and joy that comes from this precious girl. She could not wait to get into her wheelchair, and immediately after she was fitted, she was zooming off, uh, racing down the street, um, and her joy was truly contagious and impacted every person that experienced that moment, and hopefully for each of you as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, uh, thank Tony and Gabrielle and Larry. Would you do that? And so we would love for you to connect to the Ideas organization. It could be that you just want to pray for them. It could be you want to support them financially. It could be that you want to take a trip like Larry did. If some of the things that they're engaged in and involved in, which may, to some of you, you may have picked up on this, is a little different than traditional or maybe the mission work that you're familiar with, and we love these new methods, and we love the approach that they're taking, and we're seeing this with most of our mission partners, that they are finding out that there are some very creative and thoughtful ways to connect to organizations and communities and people in need and show the gospel in some very unique ways. So we're very grateful. Thanks for giving your time today. We're glad that you're here. And so we hope you take time to, to get to know them. Stan and Tammy Brown, who started Ideas in the beginning, there was a, a core idea that they brought to the Ideas organization. Uh, Stan and Tammy, if you knew them well. How many of you remember Stan and Tammy? Let me see your hands. Let me get an idea of how many of us. So they had this, this idea that there is a divide in our lives that shouldn't be. That there is a sacred you and there is a secular you. There's a, a church-going you and then there's a worker you. Or there's the, the music that you listen to when you're with your Christian friends or at church. And then there's music you listen to when you don't want anybody to know what you're listening to. <laughs> that there's a, a sacred, secular divide in our lives. And they, they work very hard at erasing that line and removing it. So much so that in Tammy's research as she pursued her PhD, which was interrupted by COVID, interrupted by, by Stan's passing, that that she picked up and eventually completed, recently completed. Uh, so Dr. Tammy Brown, she may, may be watching today, I don't know. Um, it was focused around this idea that we would pursue and see our work in our lives as a holy calling. And that that holy calling, it doesn't extend to just pastors or missionaries or people that you know, wear collars or robes or have sort of a traditional view of what it means to serve God in this sort of one-dimensional way. But that would be true for you as an engineer or a doctor or a school teacher or somebody who is in the trenches doing literal landscape work or no matter what you're doing, whether you receive a paycheck for your work or you don't even receive thanks for the work that you do, let alone a paycheck, that you would see your life and whatever work that God has put in front of you was raising kids or something technical, making widgets, it doesn't even matter. That you would see it as a holy calling. And what Tammy discovered in her research is that many people view their lives as sort of this divided life. And that, of course, means that we lack a very basic thing, integrity. 
And that divided life, the line that is in between these things, needs to be erased. And we see our life as one whole, one integral life. And so that was her work. That was her research. This was the idea that they devoted and gave their lives to in a thousand different ways. And one of those was in the development of ideas as an organization and a mission, a mission organization. And so Tammy, Tammy completed her dissertation. And this summer, she sent me a copy of her dissertation. <laughs> it's really thick. I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read some of it. And what's unique about this dissertation and its relationship to Castle Oaks Church is that you participated in this research. I don't know if you remember this or not, and some of you did, um, and some of you do remember it, I'm sure. Uh, before COVID, we, we published a link in our e-news uh, several weeks in a row that enabled you to take a survey regarding your work and how you see it, whether you see it as a holy calling. And there were some other words that might jog your memory regarding her PhD and her research and her dissertation. Does anybody remember taking the survey? Let me see your hands if you took the survey. Okay, at least a dozen of you and a few others. I think at last count, there were a few dozen from Castle Oaks that helped take the survey. And she took your responses and crafted a dissertation and an understanding and created some major findings and all sorts of things. It's absolutely incredible. And if, if Tammy were here today, I think she would be asking you this question. Do you see your life? Do you see your calling? Do you see your work? Do you see whatever gift that you have, whatever way that you spend any time, whether it's hanging with kids in your neighborhood, working for a paycheck, do you see it as a holy calling? Do you know that God has created you uniquely to do some things? And when you do those things, some days maybe not even well, and some days maybe with a flourish and all kinds of excellence, and many days, most actually, something in between those extremes. When you do them, God, who made you in his image, is pleased with what you're doing. And he has created you with these unique talents and abilities. And this is true no matter what age you are. There are students in our schools that bring something very unique. Talents, abilities, compassion. They see other students God has created you to do and to be, and the confluence of those two things is what it means to be made in his image. Of course, we see this all in Genesis. God created, and then he rested, and he made, and he worked. Work isn't a result of the curse at all. Work is the result of being made in God's image, and so God puts you in places that nobody else can go to. I can't go, Larry can't go, Gabrielle can't go. Other places where you are, that's the unique place that God has put you in. And he wants you to bring something unique and special to it. Well, Jesus called it a certain kind of specialness with a couple of very different specific words. And he did it in the Sermon on the Mount and he wants us to bring these things. And so it fits like, like just two pieces that are supposed to go together, this idea from the Sermon on the Mount in our follower series. Here's what Jesus says. You are the, say it with me. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
And he follows this analogy of salt with this analogy. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And then Jesus says some things about light. You, you, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, no, you, you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone. In the same way you let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. It's these two ideas. You are the what? Say it with me. Salt of the earth and you are the? That Jesus uses to describe what you bring to the table. And he doesn't say that it has to do anything, anything at all to do with the unique profession you're in or a unique set of skills that you bring to the table or the personality. The breadth of personalities just in this room represents a massive variety of the ability to either connect with people or complete tasks that some of us wouldn't want to get anywhere near. You are made uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully the image of God. And we are to be salt and light. Now, if we're going to be honest, we have to at least acknowledge that these two ideas are lost on us. They meant something different in the first century than they mean today. When, when Jesus says, you are the, the salt of the earth, when we think about salt in our life, if you've been to the doctor lately, you haven't heard, you know, what you need to do is eat more salt. You really should. You should probably increase your salt. What salt and saltiness is what you need. No, we hear the exact opposite. You know, less salt, less salt. You've got too much, too much. Low sodium. Buy the no sodium peanuts. And you know, we don't do that. We, 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 I see the low sodium stuff and I go, you know, no thank you. I'm looking for the box that does say more salt, you know, but this is not what my doctor wants. It's not what your doctor wants. We try to, we try to keep away from saltiness. We do. And, and so much so that it, of course, gives us a negative perception of what it means to be salty. But it's not just us that has that negative perception. Even the dictionary has a, a negative perception of what it means to be salty. Here's one definition. <laughs> If you're salty, you are irritated, angry, resentful, especially as a result of, lo of losing or being slighted. <laughs> and this seems and feels like how some followers of Jesus have taken what it means when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Can I get an amen? Come on. You know I'm, you know I'm speaking the truth. That in our divided culture, this is... The prevailing definition of being salty, as Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. We've all been on the receiving end of the, the irritated, angry, resentful, especially as a result of being slighted Christian, who walks into a culture and says, you know, I'm going to stake out my claim and you must agree with me and I'm going to, I'm not building bridges, I'm drawing circles and I'm, I'm telling you who's in and I'm telling you who's out this is not what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. When Jesus said this in the first century, salt was just becoming known and understood as a, as a commodity. It was valuable. In, in a world of, of no refrigeration, salt was found and discovered as a preservative of life. It was key and it was critical and it was traded as currency in Jesus' day, it gave spice and life to everything that it was added to. In fact, if you have a spice and you can't taste it, it's probably because you don't have enough salt in your 
recipe. And so salt is the magnifier of all good tastes. It's, this is just becoming known in the days of Jesus. And Jesus knew what we would come to know about salt. Salt not only is all of those things, preserving life and bringing flavor and all of those things that they knew in the first century, salt is essential for life. You have in your body what we would call intra and extracellular fluids that move all through your body. It's not in one organ or another. It's in these third spaces. It, it transports all the nutrients and all of the, the chemicals, the, all the pieces that are necessary for your life, your heart to beat, your brain to work, all of the things that allow you to function. It is salt that's in your body that allows those nutrients to move and transport from one place to another. Without salt in your body, you will find yourself lethargic. You will find yourself dealing with cramps, muscle cramps. Parts of your body will shut down. In fact, if salt drops to the most egregious levels, the lowest levels, you'll find yourself in shock and eventually death. We have a good friend who's trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And he is, he's a runner. And when he runs, uh, he, he's a little older than me. And I can't believe he's doing this at his age. But he's in great shape. He's very fast. He's very capable. When he runs, he's done several marathons this year. When he hits the 20, 21 mile mark, he, he just hits the wall. He just shuts down. And he can't figure out why. So he went to a doctor, and the doctor said, you know, trainer, they did the whole thing, took his blood, tested it. They said, you know, we need to know what you're sweating. And isn't that gross? They want to know what he's sweating. So he had to bring them some sweat. And so they analyzed what he was sweating, and they said, oh, we figured it out. You're losing sodium. You're completely losing sodium. He should have known because when he runs, he sweats so much, his shoes, you could just wring them out when he's done. You know what I mean? It's bad. I know. It's gross, isn't it? And so he has this experience, and they're telling him, you're losing too much sodium. Your body is going to shut down. And so they gave him some salt concoction to drink when he is at mile 16 and mile 18 and mile 20 so that his body can find the energy it needs in the stores where it belongs so that he can complete the race. This is the beauty of salt. It's essential for life. Without it, we die. And Jesus comes along and he says, look, you need to know you're the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Light's the same way. We don't want more light. We want less light. So much so that the uh, those who study the heavens and want to see the stars are now designating certain places in our world as dark sky communities. And so when Jesus says you're the light of the world, the photographers in the room and those of you that dabble in photography understand what this means because you make use of what we would call the golden hour. It's this incredible moment of the day where the dark and the light interplay. You need both. Darkness we have, light is added. It was added because God said at one point in time, let there be what? And so light means we can see. Light means we're warm. Light means that we bring something to the table. 
And when Jesus says these things, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, he wants us to understand what happens when we bring ourselves to the table. And we do this in every circumstance, in every setting that we find ourselves in, whether it's work or family, neighborhood, friendships, doesn't matter. And this idea that you would see your life and your light, the light that you bring to the world, the salt that you bring to the world is a part of a holy calling, both of these together. This is the idea that encompasses Tammy's research, the founding, the beginning, and the core value of ideas that we would understand that the world is in desperate need. So I want you to know a couple things before we take communion together as a church family today. Just like salt, you are essential. God has placed you in a unique place. And what you bring to the relationships, the people that you know, the people that get to enjoy and experience your presence, your presence matters. You are essential and needed. And while we might like to skate through unnoticed or unscathed or untroubled or unburdened, God has something different in mind for you. So wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, relationships, places, work, work in quotes, maybe because you don't get paid, wherever you are, your presence matters. And when Jesus says this, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, I, I think it could be summed up with this simple phrase, and it's this, make it better, make it better. Whatever you do, bring salt and bring light. Make it better. Some of you, when you walk into a room, you bring levity that is desperately needed because you're around a bunch of serious people. And somebody needs to just, you know, crack a joke every now and then. Some of you are deeply serious people and you are so needed because you're around a bunch of clowns at work. And somebody, somebody needs to talk about the issues that will help move this organization or this family or this neighborhood, move something for us. Some of you bring wisdom to the table. You can see through the mess of issues that are being discussed the things that matter most. And so you can shove all that stuff aside and say with clarity what matters. That's what some of you bring to the table. Some of you understand what it means to be a strategic thinker and a strategic planner. And so if somebody's wondering how to get from point A to point B, you know it before they even tell you where you're starting and where you're ending. And you can say it in simple terms so that people can understand. That part of you that comes forth in a meeting or a discussion or a one-on-one -on -one chat, that part of you is God himself, his image imprinted on you, given to you for his purpose that his kingdom may grow. He wants you to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He wants you to make life better. God wants, when you walk into the room, for people to understand what has just happened. And they see you coming, and they say, hey, come on, look, look who's here. This is going to be what? This is going to be better. Now that they're here, I'm going to be seen. I'm going to be known. I'm going to be understood. We're going to solve this problem. We're going to at least enjoy it while we do it. Whatever it is you bring 
to the table. And I think Tammy, if she were here in this room, she would want you to ask this question. Do you see your work, work in quotes, as a holy calling? Do you see it that way? Because if you don't, then you're missing the biggest part of why God has put you in the specific circumstance around the specific people that you're around. God has a design for your life. He wants to see you. Use it for his purpose. And when you do, when you do, you feel his pleasure. It's not a surprise to me that the night that Jesus instituted this meal, that John, the author of his gospel, describes what happened when he was there. Before they began to think about eating together, Jesus got up from the table and he took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist. It was in this moment that he helped them understand the the deeper purpose of work as a holy calling. And so he knelt down and began to knock the dust off of their dirty feet, added water to the mix and cleaned them until they, I'm sure, were just pristine as if they hadn't been outside at all that day. And Jesus had some chats with them about leadership and what it means to serve. But the most pointed comment he made when he was done is, look, you have seen what I have done for you. Now go and do likewise. He didn't tell them to preach. He didn't tell them to start churches. That, is, that would come later, of course. He didn't tell them to do all the things that we would say were sacred and holy. But what he did is said this. He said, look, when you go, this is what I want you to do. I want you to serve the people around you. Some of you serve them with your heart. Some of you serve with your mind. Some of you serve with your hands. Some of you serve with every part of you as you love deeply the people that God has put in your circle. And then, with that in mind, he held up the bread and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take it and eat. And they did. And then he held up a cup of Passover And as he did it, seeing the fruit of the vine in the cup, he held it up and he said, this is a new covenant. This cup represents a new agreement with God, this new relationship that we have with him. It is my blood and is poured out for your forgiveness. And then he said, take and drink, each of you. And so in just a moment, as our servers make their way to the various places in the room, you'll have a few moments to pray and contemplate the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And of course, we do this collectively as a body. And when you're ready, if you're partaking in communion today, you can make your way to any of the servers in the room. Most of them will be up front here. And they will allow you to take the bread from the tray and they will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then you can reach for the cup that's there that represents the blood of Jesus. And they will say, this is the blood of Jesus poured out for you. You can take communion right there in front of them or you can return to your seat and take it there. And as you reflect on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, know this, that you have been redeemed, redeemed to do good work, to bring God's kingdom here, to be a very answer to the prayer that he prayed at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, where? As it is in, that's right. And so, Lord, we come this day to partake in communion, this holy sacrament, receiving the 
the body of Jesus, receiving over our life the blood of Jesus. Lord, we pray today that we would understand that you have called us to do and to be. You have called us to know that we are forgiven and loved, that we are your children. And you've called us to do good work. Our tools are many. Our environments are incredibly varied. Some of us work among people that do not know your name. Some of us do work that maybe generations before us would even struggle to call holy. But Lord, we believe that all things are holy that you can purify all and that you can use us to do the work in front of us even if it's putting our hands on dirty feet. So Lord, help us to serve your world with the love that you've given first to us and then to be handed freely to those that we interact with. So as we create, as we clean, as we build, as we serve and love, May these communion moments remind us that we belong to you and that you are about the business of redeeming all things. So Lord, as we take communion, draw us to you. In the name of Jesus, we all pray together and we say,